Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning, and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday here at Community Radio 3CR. It is Saturday, the 29th of July. Yes, the year is pressing on. I'm Giselle Hanna. I'm taking you through to 9:30 this morning.、Um, There is an anti-fash action today. I'm going to give you the details of that later in the program, but I will tell you now that Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. You can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook. Look us up on that singular social media platform. Uh, full show today.、Uh, the talk in the second part of the program is quite long, so I do want to squeeze in the news and get to that、uh, as quickly as we can. I'm broadcasting the keynote address by、um, Rachira Talukdad.、Uh, she is from.、Uh, she's one of the co-founders of Sapna,、um, which is a South Asian climate solidarity. She gave a talk at the Green Left Weekly Eco Socialism Conference on the first and second. Of July, so we're going to get to that in the second part of the program. But we're going to go straight into news from around the region, and kicking off in Korea, protests continue as、uh, the costs, the heat costs lives in that country. The KFSU Mark Industry Union, so、um, this is associated with the、uh, the other union federation, not the KCTU.、Um, Uh, they are pushing for a major investigation into how a Costco worker in Hanan City died of heat exhaustion at work last month. The 29-year-old had no existing health conditions and was working in parking management without shelter or seating to rest on. The city in which he lived had declared a heatwave warning on the day he died. The union demanded an investigation and criticised Costco Korea for not being responsive to complaints about working conditions and refusing collective bargaining. Elsewhere in Korea, the KMWU, the Korean Metal Workers Union, which is affiliated to the KCTU, the、um, left-wing militant labour centre in Korea, the KMWU Workers Union continued. Um, national industrial action aimed at ending the Yun administration's attack on workers. They demanded the scrapping of the proposed 69-hour week and more laws protecting worker well-being. The KMWU action comes at the end of a two-week nationwide rolling strike, which involved more than 100,000 workers across the country. In Cambodia, the sham election reaches its inevitable conclusion. Hun Sen, who has been Prime Minister of Cambodia for 38 years, was re-elected this week in a one-horse race, where his main opposition had been barred from running. Although he claimed after the election that he will stand down in August, little is expected to change as the Cambodian People's Party, which he leads, will remain in power. The Hun Sen government has overseen a crackdown on the labour movement over the past decade, as opposition groups began to pose an electoral threat to the government in 2013. Laws were changed to make it difficult to launch industrial action and even to register a union. The suppression on free speech. 
means that the general population's understanding of unions and class consciousness is limited. Furthermore, Union busting in the workplace with government support has intensified since the outset of the COVID pandemic, with the recent imprisonment of the leaders of the Naga World Strike sending a chilling message that has reverberated throughout the labour movement in Cambodia. And in Myanmar, South East Asia is divided on this question. On Wednesday, the leaders of Malaysia and the Philippines stated in a meeting that there should be more flexibility for countries in the region to engage with the military regime in Myanmar and suggested that ASEAN also be more open to the junta. The statements came as news broke out that Aung San Suu Kyi, the leader ousted by the military in the 2021 coup, has been moved from prison to house arrest. The leaders of Malaysia and the Philippines suggested that more engagement with Myanmar would bring about peace in the country, which has seen escalating lethal confrontation of the military with its opponents. On the other hand, the government of Indonesia has renewed its commitment to restoring democracy in Myanmar with the Minister for Political, Legal and Security Affairs expressing grave concern for the human rights situation during a visit to the country last week. The minister joined several regional unions in calling for change in Myanmar, including the ASEAN Trade Union Council and the Malaysia Labor Alliance. Myanmar is scheduled to hold its own sham election next month. And in Sri Lanka, uh, people are rallying against anti-worker labour laws. Several Sri Lankan unions held a rally in torrential rain on Tuesday to protest the government's proposed labour laws and debt restructure as part of the IMF bailout. The proposed laws will involve using workers' money, including their superannuation funds and treasury bonds paid for by taxpayers, to service a country's debt and provide what the IMF calls debt sustainability. This comes at a time when rising inflation and a devaluation of the national currency have increased the financial pressure faced by ordinary workers. Furthermore, the labour law reforms uh, aims to amalgamate 48 regulations into one, which unions argue will only jeopardise workers' rights for safe working hours, overtime and freedom to gather and participate in collective bargaining. This move comes at a time when outspoken union leaders have been removed from bodies that negotiate with the government. And Macron has announced an end to decolonisation in New Caledonia. Let us see. French President Emmanuel Macron visited New Caledonia, Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea this week as part of his Pacific strategy to make France a balancing partner between the United States and China. During this visit, he announced that he will repeal the Numea Accords, a 1998 peace agreement that brought an end to the independence movement's fight against French rule. Macron made the announcement after pro-independence groups boycotted his public address. The pro-independence movement, mostly made up of Indigenous Kanak people, boycotted the failed independence referenda run by the French government on the grounds that they were unfair and have said that any attempt to end the decolonisation process in the Pacific Territory will lead to instability. Macron has refused to listen, vowing to change France's constitution to remove the Numia Accords by the end of 2024. Meanwhile, in Vanuatu, locals demanded that two islands controlled by New Caledonia, which the New Caledonian Canucks also say belong to, belongs to the Ni Vanuatu people, 
that um, those two islands controlled by New Caledonia be returned to their sovereignty. In much the same fashion as in New Caledonia, Vanuatu's demands were met with indifference from Macron during his visit. And in Iran, uh, miners are on strike. Copper miners in Iran's central Yazd province went on strike this week for a pay rise. Workers at the Chadar Malu Mining, an industrial company which operates an iron ore mine, walked off the job on Sunday, demanding that their wages match inflation, which is currently at 47.5%. And that supplementary insurance be provided to workers. Production had come to a standstill at the mine by Monday after the mine's management refused to negotiate with the workers. Asphalt workers, who are also present at the mine, went on strike in solidarity with the miners. The mining company, which is controlled by senior members of the regime, has also come under criticism for appointing Ali Salah Abadi, the former head of the central bank, to its board of directors. Abadi, oversaw one of the worst economic crises during his tenure at the central bank, in which the Iranian currency sharply dropped in value. It is nine minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. Some community announcements and our feature story for the morning. Wondering how to pay your donations to 3CR Radiothon? It's easy. You can pay online at 3cr.org.au or call us any weekday with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash. Or simply post your cheque or money order to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us exactly which program you'd like your donations to go towards. Well, climate change poses an extreme threat to natural environments and people around the world. The world needs a rapid transition away from fossil fuels to prevent dangerous climate change. However, this is just half the story of climate justice. The other half is about creating a just future and centering stories of communities and Indigenous peoples. One organisation that does that is Sapna South Asian Climate Solidarity, an Australian-based climate justice collective. Rachara Talukdar is one of Sapna's co-founders and she gave a keynote address at the Eco-Socialism Conference hosted by Green Left Weekly and Socialist Alliance on the weekend of the 1st and 2nd of July. So what I want to do in this 20 minutes or less than 20 minutes I have is talk about the arc of struggle. So the struggle for democracy and democracy as environmental rights and self-determination and climate justice in central India, where there is the most number of indigenous Adivasi people living in the forests on their land. And, and what that means today in a state of climate crisis, and what that also means actually for the topic of this conference, which is about moving beyond capitalism. So this um, image is of the community in Mahan when they got their forest rights. Um, and um, forest rights in India came in, and the, I'm, I'm just going to go to the next slide in a minute, uh, but the banner says, um, Lok Tantra Zindabad, democracy, long live democracy. Uh, that's essentially what it states. Now here on the ground in central India, which has a lot of coal and other minerals under the ground, and forests above, and is the 
home and heartland of indigenous people living on the land in India, environmental rights and self-determination equals to democracy. Democracy and legal democracy is enshrined in certain rights. So this is at the heart of the contention today with increasing mining and other kinds of um, stresses on forests, on people's forests, and simultaneously people still getting rights over their forests, which um, they were evicted out of in the colonial period by the British. So there's this, this tension marks the ground in central India. Um, so there was a very long movement after, you know, after Indian independence, in the decades, very long movement by indigenous communities and civil society groups, which came and all finally unified under the umbrella of the campaign for survival, of dig survival and dignity for indigenous people to have, for indigenous and non-indigenous long-settled communities on the land to have legal rights over the land and forests that they had been evicted from in the British colonial era, when the British took over the forests and made them state forests and started using them as resources for the Industrial Revolution and to lay out the railway. What, what came out of the very long struggle over decades was the Forest Rights Act and another act before that, which I won't have the time to get into, so I won't, but essentially, if you think of if you think of the native title in Australia, which is an equivalent to the forest rights in India in terms of intent, or if you think about land rights in Australia, the intent was to address colonial wrongs and for indigenous people to be able to claim their land back. So similar intent, the native title was instituted in the early 1990s and the Forest Rights Act after decades of mobilization and movements came in in 2006 and of course it was in many ways a compromise to what movements were demanding. But this is the, so with my work I look at the differences between democ how democracy is enabled on the ground in Australia and India through mechanisms like this. So the Native Title Act um, is not as progressive as the Forest Rights Act. The Forest Rights Act essentially gives communities, indigenous communities, the right to veto mining if they so choose. So environmental self-determination, and I know that some people are feeling really good hearing about that, but there's the other side of the story about the violations. So I'm coming to that. So the, the Forest Rights Act came in um, at a time when basically um, the Indian economy had begun open, opening up in a big way. Um, neoliberalism um, and markets were coming into the forests. Mining was increasing, coal mining and other kinds of mining. So this is the interesting thing. Just like the Native Title Act came in a little while before the minerals boom started in Australia, um, and the Native Title, of course, did bring in some, I mean, this is, I mean, there has been an intense debate about whether native title is adequate or not. There's been an intense debate about whether mining has been good for First Nations people in Australia or not. But I cannot disregard the um, um, Professor Marcy Lang Langton assessment that the native title, of course, at the time of the mining boom, did provide some mechanism and power for, Indian, for First Nations people to be able to negotiate, which they did not have before in the previous mining boom eras. Now, if you think about that, and if you think about forest rights, 
um, which came in in 2006, at a time when mining, and this was before the Modi government, mining was starting to increase massively in central India, a lot for a lot of coal, but other minerals as well. Forest rights came in at that time when communities could actually have some rights and a possibility for self-determination. Around the same time also came a revamped uh, land rights, um, revamped Land Acquisition Act, which overhauled the colonial legal structures and again gave communities the place and the position to have, you know, to have the information and to make decisions for themselves and negotiate compensation on, you know, on, on, on equitable terms. So the Forest Rights Act came in in 2006 and immediately there was a backlash from industry, of course, but also state governments and state bureaucracies did not want to relinquish power because they wanted mining revenues. So this has always been at the heart of the conflict with the Forest Rights Act. Now what happens from 2014 when we've had the Modi government um, in power is you know, some of the details that I'm going to talk to in terms of how uh, democracy through the Forest Rights Act and the rights that people can, you know, land rights that people can have has been, dis has been significantly threatened. So what, what happened after, um, the, the previous slide had an image which was about the historic win of the Dongria, it, we can't call it a win, but the, the case of the Dongria Kond community in uh, a rem remote indigenous community in the eastern state of Orissa, who used the Forest Rights Act for the first time in, its, in the way that it ought to be used. And community after community, over 100 disconnected remote hamlets of indigenous people said no to bauxite mining on their sacred mountains. So that was in 2012, and since then, uh, and, and with the instituting of the Forest Rights Act, it's been a tool for communities to fight for, for basically fight on legal grounds for rights that they've always had. So this picture is from the stone slab or the Patalgari movement in Jharkhand where indigenous people were setting up stone slabs of the fifth schedule of the constitution. Outside their villages, the fifth schedule has rights and safeguarding of Adivasi lands and that's in the constitution and Forest Rights Act and the other act that had come in before that were actually legalizing those rights and grounding them. So, with the coming of these kinds of laws, communities had legal tools with which they could contest mining. But what, what, but what happened? Are communities getting their rights? So I think I want to, instead of, instead of talking about, uh, instead of giving us a laundry list of things that have changed, I think I want to delve into the case study of the Hastio resistance. And, and this has brought up a lot of you know, the mechanisms that are used by this government and also brought up this whole thing of crony capitalism and the, you know, the, the Adani, the power that Adani wields on the ground in many ways. Um, so I'm going to talk to this case study. So um, we know that in 2014 when the Modi government came in, there was a massive crackdown on civil society organizations, environmental organizations and rights groups, and it was done through the mechanism of the Foreign Contributions Regulation Act, FCRA Act. So basically foreign funding received by organizations was blocked. Um, the organization that I you know, have, have kind of worked in from 
from the very beginning of my experience as an environmental activist, Greenpeace. Greenpeace was made an example of. Greenpeace was made an example of and their funding was blocked because Greenpeace had been working to stop coal mining. Uh, using an international narrative of we need to stop coal. Uh, and they had worked with the Mahan community whose slide had first put up. Now what's been, have, what's been brewing for a long time, um, parallelly, in central India has been a resistance of communities in the state of Chhattisgarh, in the northern part of the state of Chhattisgarh, in really dense thick forests, the Hastyo forests. Um, and and some of this, some of the problems started before the previous government, before the Modi government, during the during the Congress-led uh, previous government um, at the centre. But Adani has been a constant in this case, and it just kind of shows how Adani's power has been growing on the ground. And regardless of which governments at the state level, you know, Adani is is basically kind of getting what they want. So, with the after the forest rights. Act came in, communities in, um, in, in, in the Hasdeo forests um, basically filed for their Forest Rights Act, uh, filed for forest rights and got community and individual forest rights. What's been happening is that from 2012 there has been mining in, in, um, in the Hasdeo forests. The Congress-led government, before the Modi government, had designated the Hasdeo forests as forests that should not be touched for mining because they're high-value forests, animal corridors through thick forests, and because they're precious as carbon sinks. Now, an interesting thing is, while they said, while they said no to mining, they did approve a coal mine at the edge of the forest and left it there. Now, with the Modi government coming in, um, and more, more mining has been approved in the Hasdeo forests. The most recent ones being coal mines that were auctioned as India's response to the COVID recovery and coal blocks were allocated in the Hasdeo forests. Land acquisition for new coal mining in those thick forests, now happening in the interiors of the forest rather than the edge, were approved using draconian laws and not the new land acquisition law. Why? To bypass the Forest Rights Act and the, and the space it creates for communities to decide on mining. So what is happening now, um, over the last 10 years, what has intensified is basically bypassing the provisions of acts like the Forest Rights Act for communities to make decisions. So if we think of India's long struggle communities' long struggles for democratizing. Um, when when scholars, uh, scholars like Ramachandra Guha, Marxist scholar, you know, kind of write, wrote about the Chipko movement, the, the narrative that he put out was about democratizing resource management, democratizing managing our forests. So if we think about the long arc and the long struggle of communities to democratize resource management and to have a say at the table of making decisions on their land and their forests and their water, we find that India has been going around in cycles. When the Forest Rights Act came in, there was a possibility to actually give... When the Forest Rights Act came in, there was actually a possibility to grant communities rights uh, and for them to be able to consider secure futures and livelihoods based on forests. But with the rampant violation of forest rights, as seen in the case of Has, there were even rights given to communities were taken away for mining. And there's been a 10-year-long movement which has been cracked down on in many different ways. Uh, the rampant violation of the provisions of uh, consent 
and giving information and self-determination are being violated. And the Hasdeo case became an international story in the solidarity movements because Adani was involved. There are many cases like this going on in India that we do not know about. What is occurring on the ground is that regardless of which government's in its power at the state level, the power of Adani is actually enabling uh, mining and you know, kind of along with it, there's a pattern of violation of forest rights and kind of legal rights of indigenous people. Even when other companies are involved, it's become a pattern. So what, was a, what emerged is a strong possibility between 2006 and say 20, 2012 uh, about forest rights giving communities rights and to be able to have a say on what happens on their land is now being upturned through the violation of rights and the dilution of rights. I think the last part of what I want to talk about come, ties back to Australia. Um, so we have seen Adani intimately in Australia, and there was a lot of kind of like perplexity about how is this even possible? How does a corporation think that they can just get favors from the government, just you know, basically railroad over approvals and violate? You know, approvals and laws like they do in India. And I think the, 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 the case of Adani and Modi's friendship in Gujarat and the special economic, Adani's special economic zone, Mundra, in Gujarat. And that, in the beginning, when Adani became known in Australia, we heard there was a lot of reportage about what happened in Gujarat. So we've seen Adani intimately in Australia, and now the possibility of the massive Kamakil mines come down to a trickle, although it's still has you know has begun to be dug on on first nations land or the wangan and jagalingo but what's go, what's if we if we think about if we think about what we've understood about adani that has been the model of neoliberal mining development in india and it has come at the back of um, it has come at the back of violation of um, community rights taking community rights away, diluting acts that give communities rights. If we think of what the latest IPCC reports acknowledge in terms of the role of First Nations people, people and communities in managing forests, and that gives us better climate outcomes, and that is what is climate justice, then with India we're going in the opposite direction with what's happening in central India. The Hasdeo forests were one of the thickest and the oldest forests. Now, India's climate plans puts a lot of you know, emphasis on carbon sinks. So actual carbon sinks, which are deep old forests, are being cut down. Reforestation is happening, which is happening through privatized drives, basically a massive drive to take people's hard-won democratic rights and forests away all over again. And it is with these actions that we are coming into the, you know, coming into taking action on climate change in India. So these are some of the directions in which it's going. And sitting here in Australia, working within the climate movement, I find it very hard to kind of make people understand that democracy is what communities are fighting with on the ground for environmental self-determination, for rights, and for secure futures. And unless we are able to form solidarities around that, and that is actually a direct challenge to the kind of capitalism that's unfolding on the ground in India. If we can't coalesce with support around and give solidarity around that, we aren't giving genuine solidarity. Climate action is not what's going to change the ground and give justice and climate justice in India. This, this work will. 
Australia's energy market is broken. Right, but Copower gives you better energy? Nope, no retailer can control where the electrons they buy off the grid come from. But as a Copower member, you can vote on where 100% of revenue goes. So instead of corporate profit, your energy bill builds the world you want to be a part of. That's cool. Learn more about the solidarity economy and Copower today and take the power back. Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036. A 3CR supporter. That does bring us to the end of a sh- the of this week's show. You have been listening to Asia Pacific Currents. I'm Giselle Hanna. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back again next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. I was going to give you those details of the action today. Oh, my gosh. Let me see if I can find them before... Um, Okay, just let me play an announcement and I'll bring that back for you. 3CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. All right, sorry for that, but here we go. 2 p.m. today at the Sunshine West IGA. So look that up uh, on your socials. There's a campaign against racism and fascism, organising a snap counter rally against a Nazi recruitment event. So that's today at 2 o'clock. Make sure you get there. Coming up now is Palestine Remembered. We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region.